Greet each of you this afternoon again. I'm glad we can gather around the word. And uh, I probably miscommunicated the other night on Friday night. I do. I would like to give a talk on um, on baptism. I think it's pretty applicable to a number of us here yet, uh, and some of the struggles that uh, baptism can. Uh, some of the struggles that maybe some have had in their minds, thinking back on their baptism and. Uh, thinking forward to future baptisms. So we visited Friday night that we thought maybe it would be a good idea to give some, some uh, explanation, some teaching on that that might, might be able to help uh, clear, up some of the, clear up some of the confusion, hopefully provide a little bit of clarity for, for each of us. I don't have that today. Um, 3.30 in the morning this morning, I was... I was looking into that. I was reading about that. I was feeling feeling sort of heavy about that. But I don't feel like I have anything necessarily today to present. But uh, trust that the Lord will bless the word. The word's open here to Second Kings. Second Kings chapter two. Second Kings chapter two, verse twenty-three. Second Kings chapter two, verse twenty-three. And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way. And maybe a little bit of backdrop on this. This was Elisha, the prophet. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood, and tear forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. Let's sing here 173. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before Thee here this afternoon hour. Thankful, Father, that we can bow before Thee. Thankful, Father, that we have this opportunity to gather around Thy Word and to hear Thy Word spoken. And pray, Father, that Thy Word would speak to us very plainly and very clearly would be our prayer again this Sunday. Father in Heaven, if Thy Spirit is not in our midst, it's vain that we gather. As we oftentimes have said, we've oftentimes prayed, but we feel that, Father. 
We feel, Lord, that of ourselves we have nothing to offer or bring, anything that would be profitable or that would help assist us here in this walk here below. Dear God, we come before Thee, and we thank Thee that we can, can do this. Father, our, our weeks are so busy. Our days go by so fast. We feel like we're, we are hurling along here, Lord, at, at mock speed. And sometimes, Father, oftentimes, we forget that it will all come to a very abrupt stop. It will all come to a very abrupt end. And then we will enter, Father, into a time and a place where there will be no more time, where there will be no more days. But it will be one long, endless eternity. And everything that we were hoping to get done, everything that we had gotten done, everything that we had left undone, we will come before thee, Father, and it will not be in prayer any longer. It will become, faith will become sight. And we will see thee, Father, in all of thy glory and all of thy power and all of thy might, all of thine omnipotence. And certainly, Father, we will bow the knee before thee, and every knee, every tongue, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Father, before thee and thy Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we hurry along here below, help us to even slow down, consider eternity as we heard this morning, consider what are we doing with our time, considering are we getting done the work that you've given us to do. Or will we come before thee, Father, on that day when everything comes to a halt, a screeching stop? We find ourselves before the great and almighty throne, and our works are going to come before us and before thee, and we will be judged not by what we intended or what we thought or what we had hoped for, but we'll be judged by what we've actually done here upon the earth. Father, there's a somewhat of a separation between us and thee right now. We are here upon the earth, but thou art there and inhabiting eternity already and so we do not approach thy throne in the awe and the majesty and the splendor that we will in that day and time the fear that will be within us but oh god we pray that thou would put that fear in our hearts now so that we would not be ashamed on that great day father put that great heaviness upon us here now as men have prayed in the past, burn eternity upon our eyeballs, Father, the eyes of our hearts, that we would have eternity upon and before us at all times. Father, whatever is not lasting, whatever will not endure the fire, whatever will not endure eternity, whatever we cannot take with us, oh God, put it in perspective before us that we wouldn't give it over much attention or time or pursuit, or strength. Thou hast given us enough time. Thou hast given us enough energy. Thou hast given us enough of what it takes, Father, to get done what we've been created to do here upon the earth, but that it would not be spent in vain. Father, we know if we spend it in vain, we're not going to be able to get it done. And so may that 
be upon our hearts, Father. Father, may we, may we draw nearer and nearer unto Thee. May our love for Thee grow more fervently. Father, may our love for one another grow more fervently. May we really care about our brethren, about their eternal souls, where they will spend eternity. May we care about the lost. May we pray for them, Father. May we not be ashamed of thy word, but may we be diligent ambassadors. May we do the work of evangelists. May we preach thy word. May we send forth the call of the gospel while there is yet time. And may many souls yet, Father, be able to be brought in. And give us the strength and the endurance. Father, we love thee. And thou art certainly worthy to receive everything that we have. And so as we oftentimes say, may there be a searching among us, O God. May thy Holy Spirit come and, and quicken us. And work that work of revival among us, O God. And Kindle a fire deepen within our hearts. We might seek thee with all that we are. Father, we love thee and we thank thee for this time now. Please bless it. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. I opened, I didn't quite make it to the New Testament. We can open again if we need to. But I've opened here to the book of Daniel. Maybe we'll just stick with that. Daniel chapter 9. Right before this, Daniel had received a vision. And at the end of receiving that vision, Daniel fainted and he was sick. It says there in verse 27, was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. He saw something that he couldn't understand that others didn't understand as he shared it with them. And so now we, we go into chapter 9 here of Daniel. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. You see, up to that time, that was a mystery. We could go there in the book of Jeremiah. I won't find it right now, but we could go there to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah had prophesied. It was maybe in, uh, maybe I will just go there real quick. I'm sorry. If I can find it.
going to go to Second Chronicles 36, 21. I'm just going to give us a little backdrop here of this. So Nebuchadnezzar had come up against uh, Jerusalem. We read here in verse 20, and then that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years, those seventy years. But Jeremiah had prophesied about it. Um, let's just read on here. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So there's a lot going on here. I don't know where exactly where it's at there in Jeremiah where we receive this prophecy, but, but it was somewhat of a mystery. While they're here in captive in Babylon, they did not know how long necessarily. That, that was hidden from them. It was hidden from them. How long is this going to be? How long are they going to be held captive here in Babylon? And um, that, was a, that was quite a trial for them. But he's saying here, as, as Daniel was... In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So that, that kind of was one of those, we, we call them light bulb moments for Daniel. It was suddenly revealed to him of what Jeremiah had been prophesying way on back. It was suddenly revealed to him that there's going to be 70 years and as we read there, the reason that was, was because God had commanded that they keep every, what was it, every uh, seventh year, that they would keep the Sabbath, and then, then I forget what, what exactly it was, that every seventh year or however many years, there was a special requirement that God gave. It was God's desire to actually give the land rest, and they had not done that. They had, they had not kept that. And so because of some punishment, and then because of that, because of that transgression, the Lord determined to put them into captivity for 70 years until that 70 years, until the land had enjoyed its rest. And then once those 70 years were transpired, then we could go on and we could read how uh, the kingdom was taken over by Darius, and he, he made a proclamation, uh, and he used Ezra, and he used Nehemiah to fulfill that time. And, and, and they, they moved then back to Jerusalem. Many of them moved back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall. We're familiar with those stories. But none of that was going to happen until 70 years were up. Okay. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I want us to pay attention here. I think that there's something that, when, the, when there is something before us that we lack wisdom in, there's, a, there's an answer that we're seeking for, 
that we don't have it. The tendency is, for me, the tendency is to go on week by week or day by day and let that thing just kind of linger out there, that question. That question, and, just, and pretty soon, before I know it, that question's still lingering there. And it might have been a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, a year ago. And there are people that operate, I don't know how they do it. I think it breaks them down and makes them almost go crazy. Whenever there are spiritual truths to be grasped, whenever there is spiritual truth that God wants to reveal to us, if we let others make that decision for us, and we ride on their coattails, so to speak, never firmly grasping hold of what that truth is, and it just kind of bounces around up there in the mind. It's a thought that we have. It's a passing thought from time to time, but we never come into a good grounding and a good foundation, a good solid stance that here I stand, so help me God. But maybe it's brothers that we highly esteem. They've come to that place. And they've taught on that, and we, we trust their judgment, and we trust what they're saying. And so we kind of ride on the, on the coattails of, of other men of God who are bigger. And we trust that what they're going to say is right, and, but we never really grab a hold of it on our own. It's just kind of bouncing around up there in our head, and we think about it from time to time, but we're never actually really firmly grounded in it. Some of you might not have that problem. I don't know. I can... I can, that would bother me. I don't want to go by just what, what I hear said. We got to own it for our own. We really got to be men of conviction or women of conviction and own it for our own because in that time of trial and that time of testing, if we're doing it because that's where our husband stands or if we're doing that because that's where my dad stands or if we're doing that, that's because that's where my brother stands or that's where my elder stands or that's where my whatever it is stands, in the day of trial, that will not be enough. I can assure you that will not be enough. Those resolves will break down, and we will not be able to endure that flood of fire or that flood of persecution or that flood of testing. We need to have a firm stance, and we need to know where we stand before the Lord. And so how do we do that? What are those things that you, you feel unsettled about? What are those things that, I don't know, I haven't understood that for a long time. I'm not really sure why we're doing that, why we've done that, where we're going with that, why he says this, why are, that's, maybe there's none of that here. I, the more we teach, the more we exhort, the more we instruct, hopefully we can answer some of those questions. But there's some that maybe have individual personal struggles here of wondering where they're at with God and wondering and there, there's, there's things there that seem insurmountable, blocks there that keep them from pressing into the presence of God. And, and then if we don't just deal with those things, those things just go on and go on and go on. And a year later, we're still left in that same place with a wall between us and God, and we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to get past that, that thing. And so we stand blocked day after day, month after month. And, and there's... there's as we're all familiar with our schedules, there's plenty enough things that come, come passing by our way that can distract us in ways that allow the days just to go by. And a year later, we're still out of joint 
with where God wants us to be at. So how do we do it? How do we get headway? How do we make headway? And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Try that. Just try that. Daniel found pretty good results. As we'll see here, it took a little while if we get that far. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and, I, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. I want to pay attention here to the voice of this prophet. Daniel was a strange man. And that's the thing with prophets. They, they do tend to be strange men. Daniel was a strange man in the fact that here, I don't know exactly when he was here, what, what, where he was at, the, the, the uh, chronology of this, and when he was cast in the lion's den. It was later on, I believe. Uh, it would have been later on. This would have been earlier. This would have been before he was cast into the den of the lion's. But this man carried a tremendous burden with him, a tremendous burden for his people. Look at what he says here. We have sinned. Now, how much do you think Daniel was sinning? I don't, I don't know that Daniel was sinning that much. I don't think Daniel, I think Daniel was uh, a holy, godly man. I think Daniel, I think, if I recall correctly, now I might get this a little, I might need to be corrected here. I forget where it's at, but it seems to me like there's a scripture that, where God spoke and said, if Daniel, maybe Noah, I don't know. Remember that? If they would have stood before me, even then he was still going to wipe them out. Now we need to maybe look up that scripture later on. But my point is, is that Daniel, I think before God, was not a man that was living in sin. But Daniel was a man that was burdened, and he comes and he says, We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And they didn't, did they? God sent these men, these prophets, And these prophets were burdened. And these prophets had a, had a mission. And these prophets God was going to use to call his children back unto righteousness, to warn them that, listen, you're off here. You've gotten off the path here. You're going the wrong way here. And he set these men so that they would come and bring a message, and sometimes it was extremely hard. But they didn't listen to him. 
how hard do you think it would have been to listen to a man that had walked around naked in front of everybody for, what was it, six years? Sounds like the kind of guy you'd really just want to listen to, right? Here walks around the prophet out here, naked, totally naked. Walks around for six years preaching and warning the people. And you have another prophet that he's laying on his side for, I forget, was it three years? I'm getting my times mixed up. And then they, then they see this guy, and he's cutting off half his hair or a third of his hair, and he's taking his hair, and he's burning it up in the fire, and he's, he's making little clay models over here of the city, and he's smushing it and smashing it, and then he's taking cow's dung, and he's cooking his food over cow's dung because he's saying that, hey, listen, God told me I'm supposed to use cow's dung. I was supposed to use human dung, but he was merciful to me and gave me cow's dung instead. And these people are like, these, these men are crazy. These prophets are crazy. You got this guy out here walking around naked. You got this guy laying on his side for three years, and then he turns around, and again, I'm probably getting mixed up on the, the time. Here you got Elijah, and he comes, and he's full of the Spirit of God, and he comes up, and, and he's, so, he's so powerfully anointed by God, he, he, he demands this contest, and he pulls all the... the the prophets of Baal, the false priests, 400 of them, and he gathers them there, and he, he calls them to this contest, and he gathers all the people of Israel around and says, now today, we're going to choose who's God around here. And being full of the power of God, he says, go ahead, you call on your God, and I'll call on my God, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God, and the rest. And so there they all stood, all watching this crazy man, when this ever been done before? And they start making their sacrifices and they start doing all, all this stuff and they start cutting themselves. He says, go on, keep crying. Maybe your God's asleep. And he mocks them. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe cry a little louder. Maybe he's off doing something else. Then Elijah calls, and he pours water on it, and he pours water on it again. He digs a ditch around. That thing's totally saturated, and then he prays just a simple prayer, and God sends down fire, and it licks it all up, and he destroys the 400 false priests, false prophets, and has this tremendous victory. And then what was it? The next day, he's out in the wilderness saying, God, take my life. Prophets. You have John the Baptist, who was the greatest of all prophets, the greatest of all men that was born among women. And here he goes, and what does he do? He goes out into a wilderness and starts to preach. Have you ever thought who in the world ever goes out into a wilderness to start preaching and thinks that that's going to somehow gather a crowd? We'd understand if he goes to the street corner. We understand if he goes right in the marketplace. We understand if he goes into some synagogue. We understand if he goes into, into the temple and starts stirring up a ruckus. But who goes in the wilderness and starts to preach? Prophet. 
They have these wildernesses out in Arizona. I suppose it's similar there. And they normally have a gate in Arizona. They normally have a gate. They have a fence going this way and a fence going that way. And it's, I suppose, to keep the cattle somewhat contained. But when you go through that gate, it's got a little head post there, and it's got a sign-in book over here. And before you go into that gate, you're supposed to sign in because you're entering wilderness. You're entering the wilderness. And somehow they want to be able to keep contact. If you don't come out, they want to know who's signed in and who's signed out and who's still out there in that wilderness. But I've never went out in that wilderness to go find a bunch of people. You go out in that wilderness and you don't see any people out there. That's part of why you go out in that wilderness is to get away from it all. John the Baptist goes out and starts preaching in the wilderness. That's where his ministry starts. Daniel here says that Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Prophets were, I don't know how else to say it, they were like crazy people. I mean, who ever heard of a man getting swallowed by a whale? God comes and says, go. And he goes totally the opposite way. And now Jonah's walking up onto the city of Nineveh, and I'm sure his flesh and everything about this man looked disgusting. I'm sure he smelled horrible. And he starts preaching. And these are the prophets. These are the prophets. And Daniel says, we didn't listen to him. And because we didn't listen to him, they were in captivity. They were kind of God's men that he sent in those crisis moments to try to get his people back, turned back onto that path of righteousness. It was that way that he sent, and, and as the Lord said, you know, he had that vineyard, and he sent them, and they treated him spitefully. They bruised him. They mocked him. They sent him out. And finally, God says, I'll, I'll send my son. Surely, they'll reverence my son. And we know what they did there. Neither have we hearkened to the servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. All week long, I've been sort of heavy. I've been sort of heavy at the subtle ways that the devil will try to silence God's prophets. I've been sort of heavy about that all week long. As I've sensed, even a particular message I listened to, a subtle undermining and a subtle mocking of that office of prophet. 
that sort of spirit that kind of rolls its eyes, that kind of, that kind of rolls its eyes like, ah, there's, there's the prophet again. We've got to put up with him. We've got to kind of humor him. We've kind of got to just put up with him. You know, we need him. But we all know that take it with a grain of salt. As I listened to that, it weighed extremely heavy on me. I thought, this isn't good. Because if that spirit of mocking would come in among the children of God, to where a voice of a prophet would suddenly be ridiculed or, or mocked or put down or, or undermined, or, or, well, that's just, that's just the prophet again. You just, that's just be expected. And I opened to this passage here, and he went up from thence into Bethel, and as he was going by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him, and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. It's not, under, it's not difficult to understand why this prophet was being mocked. These were crazy men. They were constantly preaching out and crying out, you're going to go to hell if you keep going that way. They had a reputation of like, you can't get along with these guys. You can never do anything right. Because they're constantly pointing out, listen, this isn't right. You're off course. You need to get back on the narrow way. If you keep going that way, you're going to go to hell. And finally, people get in their heads like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of listening to this guy. He makes me feel bad. He makes me, he makes me uncomfortable. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear 42 children of them. Don't mock a prophet. Don't mock a prophet. They've had their quirks, they've had their oddities, they've had their eccentricnesses about them, however you want to say that. They've been odd people. They've been strange. But there's only one thing that's really necessary. When a man stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, there's really only one thing that's necessary for those that sit and listen to that. That man is either anointed and filled with the power of God and speaks on behalf of God, or he doesn't. We are under absolutely zero obligation to listen to a man that's speaking outside of the anointing power of God. But if that man stands and speaks and brings the word of God to us with the anointing and the power of God upon him, then we will give an account. It is as if God comes and speaks to us and warns us and beseeches us on Christ's stead. We stand in that place in Christ's stead as ambassadors and we beseech, be ye reconciled unto God. And if that man does not have the anointing of God upon his life, then we are under absolutely zero obligation to listen or to give any more thought. But if it is discerned among us that that man speaks with the power of God upon him, then we do very well to take heed to every word 
and make sure that there is absolutely nothing of mocking within us. Because don't mock a prophet. If you want the curse of God to come upon you, the reason that this nation, this whole nation had went into captivity was because they mocked the prophet. That, that office of prophet was put down. That office of prophet was belittled. That office of prophet was made to be nothing. It was like, roll your eyes at them. Here they go again. Have you heard that message before? There he goes again, beating his drum. And God all the while in heaven was looking down saying, won't you listen? Won't you get it into your heart? Won't you hear what I'm trying to say? Crazy man. Do you know he walked around naked for six years? There's always every reason in the book to, to disregard. And if we want to find fault in men, you can certainly find it in men, especially prophets. But we have to discern. Is this man that brings the word of God to us anointed or not? And that is where our obligation lies. Oh, Lord. Righteousness belongeth unto thee. But unto us, confusion of faces, as at this day. To the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us. The curse is poured upon us. And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten thee renowned as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear thy prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes Behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God for thy city and thy people are called by thy name.